Welcome to the Connection Church Rankin Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you joined us for today's episode. At Connection, we exist to make disciples and plant churches among all nations. No matter where you're listening from today, we pray you will join us on this mission. Our hope is that today's message blesses, encourages, and equips you to follow Jesus and make disciples. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you. Uh, let me be another person to uh, welcome you this morning to uh, Christmas at Connection. I'm just so happy that uh, everybody is here. And um, let me get going here. So my name is CJ, um, Connect Group Leader here, and have been uh, heart and soul here at Connection for uh, going on five years now. Um, and so it's just uh, a joy to be here and just uh, humbled and thankful to be able to stand up here and uh, preach the word this morning. Um, I have a wonderful wife, Taylor. Uh, we have four beautiful adopted children. Um, and it's just been an incredible uh, few years for us. And so before I preached my uh, first sermon in July, uh, Michael told me that uh, the way that I would know if I did a good job was whether or not he asked me to do it again. Um, so <laughs> here I am back up here again. So we'll take that as a sign that uh, it wasn't terrible. And um, we'll get going. So as, as you can see, we're going to take a break from our, our Roman series and we're going to jump into the Advent season uh, through the whole month of, De- of December. Um, and we're going to be doing a series titled uh, Heaven Came Down. Right? And so as we, um, as we get into this season, um, you're going to be hearing about the four words. You're going to hear hope, uh, joy, peace. And then on Christmas Eve, uh, we'll end the Advent season with love and talking about the ultimate love story uh, that God provided for us. Right? And so just like Michael, um, I absolutely love the month of December. Um, it's just one of my favorites, right? We've got to celebrate Thanksgiving with our families and spend time with them. And then um, the colder weather comes in. Uh, we've got Christmas lights everywhere. We're doing Christmas shopping and going out and uh, buying gifts. And right, uh, my birthday is in a couple weeks, so you can keep that in mind. Um, you know, um, but just. To me, the month of December just has, has always been special. Um, but I, when I was growing up as a kid, I didn't really, uh, the word Advent wasn't a word that we used in our house. It wasn't something that I knew about. Um, I, I feel like I kind of had this weird word association. And so like I knew what Lent was. And so like Advent kind of sounds like Lent and Lent was something that Catholic people did. And so Advent was something that Catholic people did. And it just wasn't something that um, was familiar to me growing up. Um, but we... We still did all of the Advent things. We had a, a Christmas countdown. We had um, special services. We had banners in our church um, that said, uh, you know, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, uh, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, uh, Hope, Peace, Joy, and Love. Um, but Advent just wasn't a word that I knew. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older um, and realized that we had been celebrating Advent all along, just not calling it uh, by the name. 
And so as we dive in a little bit to uh, what Advent is, um, it's simply a word that means arrival, uh, specifically the arrival of a specific person, right? And it comes from the Latin word Adventus, and it's associated with these four weeks leading up to Christmas and typically celebrated by teaching of a different word each week. And so you'll see around the world uh, that there are hundreds of different Advent traditions, right? You see Advent wreaths, um, you see Advent candles that people light a different one each week of the year. Um, you'll see Advent countdown calendars. Um, my sister-in-law has been sending us pictures the last couple days. Uh, she has an Advent calendar, and each day of the month is a little different puzzle. And so she's sending us miniature puzzles every day. Um, and just you see all kinds of stuff. You see people reading different scriptures. You see special church services. Uh, you see church ceremonies. Um, some churches will have what they call the hanging of the greens, where they have a special service where they decorate the church for Christmas. Uh, you'll see special foods and festivals and all these different things. And so that's why when you hear us talking about our, our boxes for our kids and we hand out um, papers with Christmas trees, with scratch-offs, with scriptures, and we're doing these things um, in, in preparation, in Advent, for the Messiah. And so as we, as, as we see these things and we hand these things out, uh, we're just trying to raise the next generation of disciple-makers. And so we'll continue to do that. All right, and so while there's all these different Advent traditions around the world, there's no two households that celebrate Christmas exactly the same, right? But they all have one thing in common, and that we're celebrating the hope-filling arrival of the Messiah that was promised. Right? And so as we talk about this, well, why, why is that important? Why is it important that we celebrate Christmas? Why is it important that we celebrate Advent? Right? From a worldly perspective, it's this magical season. Right? There's beautiful lights. There's uh, catchy Christmas songs on the radio that are played way too early. Um, there's you know, nostalgic TV cartoons. There's Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph and The Grinch and... There's uh, cold, snowy weather and hot chocolate. There's uh, romantic Hallmark movies that are all different, yet all seem to be the same, right? And we culminate this Christmas season in a morning where we gather around a Christmas tree and exchange gifts, right? But, but what is it for? Why do we do these things? Why is it important that we celebrate Christmas? And ultimately, it's important because of the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ is the fulfillment of every single one, every single one of the 300 prophecies that are found in Scripture. Over a span of 1,500 years, there are over 300 prophecies that are made and fulfilled in the coming and the death of the Messiah. Right? So all the way back to Genesis 3, we see in the very beginning of Scripture, right? Genesis 3 says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. 
And so we see that from the very beginning, the moment that sin entered the world, the moment that man was disobedient to the commands of God, he already had a plan and he had already made a promise to forgive those sins and that death would be defeated. Right? And so in the theological world, this is known as proto-evangelium, right? the first good news, the first mention of the gospel of Jesus. And then we can move to probably what is the most recognizable prophecy, uh, maybe one of the most quoted scriptures around the Christmas season in Isaiah 9. And we see that it says, uh, For a child will be born for us, a child will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so we see that for generation after generation, the Israelites had been expectantly waiting for God to fulfill the promise that he made and to send their Savior into the world. Right? And they were waiting expectantly, and they were preparing for the King to come. So I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to jump into our discussion about hope. Lord Jesus, uh, just come to you this morning, just uh, thankful and humble um, for the opportunity to just stand here and preach your word. And I pray that as we talk about hope this morning, uh, that you would just remind us, that you would just show us why we have hope, um, and that the only reason that we have hope is because you sent your son to be the sacrifice for us to give us hope. I pray this morning that, um, that as I teach, that you would just make me small and you would make yourself big. And that everything that comes out of my mouth this morning would be from your spirit. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so how many people have traditions that they remember from when they were a kid at Christmas? All right, everybody has special traditions that you did when you were a kid at Christmas. And so we're in this, um, in this spot where my wife's family has traditions and my family has traditions and now we have kids. And it's like, well, which traditions are we going to have? All right. And so one of the biggest traditions that I remember from when I was a kid was that nobody was allowed into the living room with the Christmas tree until everybody went in all at the same time. And so growing up in my house, we had a, a two-story house. We had um, me and my two sisters. And so on Christmas morning, we would wake up and we would sit at the top of the stairs. And we would see how far we could creep down the stairs before, you know, mom and dad got up. But nobody was allowed to go down the stairs or into the living room until everybody went down all together. And uh, I eventually got around that as, a, uh, as an older kid because I volunteered to get up on Christmas morning and make breakfast for everyone before they woke up. So then I got to go down by myself and take a look at everything before everybody else. But um, I'll never forget one Christmas. I was about 10 years old. Um, I had to look it up, but uh, 1999, right? And uh, this was back when uh, Black Friday was one day, and it started at 3 a.m., and you lined up in that Best Buy parking lot with 300 other people, 
and when those doors opened, you were going in, right? And for some reason that year, uh, my mom had to take me with her to go Black Friday shopping to buy my gift. And as hard as she tried, she wasn't able to keep me from seeing the gift that she had bought. And so I, I knew, I, I saw it, I knew what it was, right? It was a Sega Dreamcast. Um, and so, right? Yeah. So, you know, in this, in this day, right, like, Sega was trying to just remain relevant, right? The, the PlayStation had come out, the Nintendo 64 had come out, and Sega was like, all right, we're, we're still in this. And this was what I wanted, right? And so I had gone shopping with my mom, and I had seen the gift, and so come Christmas morning, like, I knew it was there. I sat at the top of those stairs, and I knew when we went down and opened those gifts what was going to be there, all right? I was expectant. I was hopeful, I was waiting, and I knew it was going to be there. And so we get down, we open, open all the presents, right? Last presents open. Of course, they saved the last present for me um, because they knew that I knew what was coming. And so they, laid, uh, they saved the last present for me, and I opened it, and it was not a Sega Dreamcast, Right? And so in that moment, my hope turned to disappointment because what I had been expecting hadn't come to pass. And I sat there and, you know, trying not to, trying not to have a bad attitude, um, you know, trying to be grateful like I had been taught for the things that I had received, right? And my mom's sitting there on the couch and she said, you know, I really, I really feel a little cold. Can you run into the other room and, and get me the blanket off the couch? And I was like, really? Like this, this is what we're going to do right now? And so I got up and I kind of huffed a little bit and walked into the other room and grabbed the blanket off the couch. And sure enough, there was, there was another gift under, under that blanket. And, right, and so I brought, it, um, I brought it back into the living room and opened it. And sure enough, there it was, right? The the thing, that I, the thing that I had wanted. And what happened, my, my disappointment turned back around. Right? I was hopeful again. And from then, that led to more hopeful Christmas experiences down the road. Right? And so, as we talk about hope this morning, uh, we're going to ask three questions. Right? We're going to talk about what is hope. We're going to talk about why do we have hope. And we're going to talk about what does our hope lead to. And so as I started to dig into this and tried to define hope, I looked up in the dictionary and what I found was a feeling and desire for a certain thing to happen. And so I kind of sat on that for a little bit and I was like, that sounds, that sounds about right. You know, that's what I think hope should be, right? Like a feeling of what I want to happen, right? And as I got a little deeper, I was like, well, that just doesn't, doesn't sound right. Um, so I went a little further and went to the, uh, the Lexham Bible Dictionary, and this is how it defines hope. It says, the confidence that by integrating God's redemptive acts in the past with trusting human responses in the present, the faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness in both the present 
and in the future. Okay, that sounds a little bit more like what hope should be. All right? We're confident of what God has done in the past. Right? We trust Him in the present. And we're faithful that we will experience the fullness of God now and in the future. Right? And so what we see is that biblical faith rests on the trustworthiness of God to keep His promises. All right? Well, how do we know that? How do we know that God is trustworthy to keep His promises? Well, as we've talked about in Romans, we've, we've talked about Abraham multiple times, right? How did Abraham know that God would keep his promises when he told him to offer his son Isaac, right? When we read that passage, we see that Abraham goes to the mountain with his son and a servant. And what does he do? He tells his servant, you stay here, we will be back. So God had told him to sacrifice his son, and he says, you know what? We are coming back. Right? And how did he know that God was going to keep that promise? Right? Because he had seen God already keep the promises. He knew that God has promised him a son, and that, that promise had become fulfilled. And so he knew that God had also promised him to be the father of many nations, and that that was going to come through Isaac. Right? And so what other promises do we see in Scripture? Right? I found a book called All the Promises of the Bible. Right? And in this book, there are 8,000 references of promises that are found in Scripture. 8,000 promises that are made concerning you and me and our lives. Right? And so we're going to run through a couple, a couple, a few of them. Um, these are not going to be up on the screen. There's a lot. Um, so listen fast and here we go. All right. Isaiah 41, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your soul. Isaiah 40, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Exodus 14, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Isaiah 41, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. 
1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal, heal their land. John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. John 8, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Mark 11, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Joshua 1, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Philippians 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 34, the righteous will cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Psalm 50, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Psalm 37, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. James 5, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. And that's about 40 of the 8,000 promises that God has given to you in Scripture. All right? He's promised to be with you. He's promised you peace. He's promised to teach you. He's promised to ease your burdens. He's promised to rest your soul. He's promised to strengthen you. He's promised that he has plans for you. He's promised that he's going to help you, that he's going to fight for you. He's promised you wisdom, forgiveness, freedom, eternal life, and on and on and on. He's promised to answer your prayers. Have you ever just like stopped and sat in that for a while? Like, I can talk to the creator of the universe. And he hears me and he answers me. The creator of the universe hears me when I call on his name. All right, and so when we talk about these promises, we hear these list of promises, we pretty much we have two responses. All right, we have amen, like God keeps his promises. He is faithful, and I've seen it, All right? Or we have the second response where we just say, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how God is faithful. I don't see how he's kept his promises. And I don't have hope that he's going to keep his promises in the future. Right? And so if this is our response, this, this second response where we don't have hope that God's going to keep his promises, then we have to stay, take a step back and examine whether or not we have done our part. 
right? As we read these promises, these scriptures, there's a couple qualifiers to God's promises, right? He says, if you take my yoke, then you will find rest. If you are still, then God will fight for you. If you ask God, then he will give to you. If you confess your sins, then he will forgive you. If you're humble and you seek his face and you pray, then he will forgive you and heal you. If the righteous cry out to the Lord, he will deliver them. If you call on him in the day of trouble, then he will deliver you. If you trust in him, then he will make your path straight. And if you delight in him, then he will give you the desires of your heart. And so we, what we see is we have an active role to play in God keeping the promises that he's made to us. Right? And then when he keeps those promises, then we have hope. And I want to be very clear about what I'm not saying when we talk about this. Right? We've talked uh, several times in Romans about our works-based righteousness and trying to achieve righteousness through the things that we do. And so we're going to apply that same thing here. We're not, uh, we're not saying that um, I have to do this list of things in order for God to keep the promises that he's made to me. What well, we are saying that if we say that we love God, then we are going to do this list of things that's been laid out. And then God is going to re- we are going to receive the gift of the promises that God has made to us. Right? So that's what hope is. Right? So then we talk about, well, why do we have hope? And as we ask that question, why do we have hope? Right? We're going to answer it in two ways. And the first answer we're going to give is um, because God wrote himself into our story, right? So in uh, the early 1960s, uh, the Soviet Union made the first manned trip into space, right? And it was reported that when that astronaut came back down to Earth, um, he said, I went up to space, but I did not see God. Right? And so uh, in the years after that, it, it, was, um, it was reported that this was not actually a statement that he made. Um, the Soviet Union, being a uh, communist, atheist nation, kind of put, put this on him to further their um, propaganda, sort of. Um, but nevertheless, um, it led C.S. Lewis to write a response, a short essay um, called The Seeing Eye. And so we're going to go through that real quick. And he says, um, the Russians, I am told, report that they have not found God in outer space. Looking for God or heaven by exploring space is like reading or seeing all of Shakespeare's plays in the hope that you will find Shakespeare as one of the characters or Stratford as one of the places. Shakespeare is in one sense present at every moment in every play, but he is never present in the same way as Falstaff or Lady Macbeth, nor is he diffused through the play like a gas. Now, of course, this is only an analogy. I'm not suggesting at all that the existence of God is as easily established as the existence of Shakespeare. My point is that if God does exist, he is related to the universe more as an author is related to a play 
than as one object in the universe is related to another. If God created the universe, then he created space and time, which is to the universe as the meter is to a poem or the key is to a song. To look for him as one item within the framework which he himself created is nonsensical. How then, it may be asked, can we either reach or avoid him? In our own time and place, avoiding God is extremely easy. And as I was reading this, I realized that uh, this was written 60 years ago. And as we continue on, the, the things that are written about are even more prevalent in our society today than they were in the day that it was written 60 years ago. And I would guess that most people in this room weren't even alive when, was, when this was written. Right? So, avoiding God is extremely easy. Avoid silence. Avoid solitude. Avoid any train of thought that leads off the beaten track. Concentrate on money, sex, status, health, and above all, your own grievances. Keep the radio on. Live in a crowd. Use plenty of sedation. If you must read books, select them very carefully. But you'd be safer to stick to the papers. You'll find the advertisements helpful especially those with a sexy or snobbish appeal. About the reaching, I am far less reliable guide. This is because I never had the experience of looking for God. It was the other way around. He was the hunter and I was the deer. Space travel really has nothing to do with the matter. To some, God is discoverable everywhere. To others, nowhere. Those who do not find him on earth are unlikely to find him in space. We're in space already. Every year we go on a huge circular tour in space. Right? But send a saint up in a spaceship and he'll find God in space as he found God on earth. Much depends on the seeing eye. And so what we see here is that in the same way that Shakespeare is present in every play that he wrote, God is also present in every act that he wrote in our lives. Right? But there's a difference. Right? Shakespeare was never able to write himself into one of his plays. Right? But God wrote himself into our story. He wrote himself as a character in our story. And what he could have done, he could have created earth and created the garden and Adam and Eve. And he could have said... Don't eat from the tree, and they ate from the tree, and he could have said, that's it. All right, I gave you the commands, I gave you the opportunity, and you were disobedient, and so now you have to suffer forever the consequences of your sin. All right, he could have said, here's what you deserve, but he didn't. He sent his son. And he sent him as a character in our study, in our story. And so the second way that we're going to, an that, to answer the question, why do we have hope? We're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 20. Right? 
for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. All right, so why do we have hope? We see because all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Right? Every promise that was made, all 8,000 of them, every single one of them finds the answer of yes because of Jesus. Every single promise is filled either directly or indirectly in the coming of Christ. Right? So our third question, well, what does that lead us to? Right? Well, if we have hope, then it has to lead us somewhere. Right? So we tend to talk about hope in somewhat of a negative way. Right? I, I really hope that I'm not going to get in a wreck on my way to work today. I really hope that I'm going to have enough money to pay my bills this month. I really hope whatever it is, right? But are we really expectant that our hope is what we say it is? Or do we say we have hope because we really don't think that what we want is going to happen? All right, so over the last year, um, I mentioned that we had four adopted children, right? And over the last year, people would always come up and they would say, well, when, when do you think, do you think the adoption's going to happen soon? Right? Do you think, do you think this is going to happen? Do you think this is going to happen? Well, well, my response, man, I really hope so. But did I really have hope that it was going to happen? Or was I saying I had hope because I didn't think it was going to happen? Right? I had sat there for the past three years and I had seen that nobody seemed to be in a hurry. Nobody seemed to want to do what was in the best interest of our children. Um, nobody seemed to want to make any progress. So when people asked me, well, did I have any hope? Well, I said, I hope so. But it was more because I had seen what had happened and I thought it wasn't going to change. All right? And so then when it, when it finally did happen, right, my, again, my disappointment, right, turned back to hope. Because I had gone through this process and I had seen that God answered his promise. It may not have been in the way that I wanted it to, or it may not have been in the timeline that I wanted it to, right? But ultimately, the promise that God made was fulfilled. And my disappointment, again, turned back to hope. So as we answer the question, what does our hope lead to? We're going to be talking about uh, Simeon this morning in Luke chapter 2. All right, so um, we see that Simeon was a man in Jerusalem. He was a, a leader of, of the church. And so as we read um, Luke chapter 2 this morning, we're going to be reading uh, 21 through 35. All right. So when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. 
And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Right? There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what, he was, what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. All right, and so even though uh, Simeon is a leader of the church in Jerusalem at this time, this is the only mention of him that we see in Scripture. So all of the information that we have about him is found in these verses right here. All right, so who, who was he? All right, what do we see? We see that there was a man in Jerusalem, right? And what does it say? It says he was righteous and devout. Right? So all of those things that we listed, those qualifiers for God's promises, right? Simeon was doing all of those things. He was righteous and devout. He was seeking the Lord. He was teaching. Um, some people say that uh, he was involved in um, translating the scripture uh, for the Jewish church. Right? What else does it say? It says he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Well, what does that mean? Well, as a Jew... Right? He believed that the Messiah was coming. He claimed the promise that God has made. Right? He had hope in God's plan for the Jewish people, and he was expectantly waiting and preparing. Right? And then what does it say? It says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Right? Well, Jesus hasn't come yet. Right? So how does he have the Holy Spirit? Right? And so we see that this is one of the few times in Scripture uh, before the birth or before the, the resurrection that uh, Scripture mentioned that someone has the Holy Spirit. And in these instances, it's typically um, the Holy Spirit comes to make a specific thing known or a specific promise to a specific person. Right? And so one of the things that I came across was that um, when Simeon was... Uh, translating the scripture, uh, when he translated it, he translated what should have been known as the virgin into the young woman. And so some people claim that um, Simeon was chosen because of his unbelief in the virgin birth. Right? And so what else do we see? Well, we see that um, Simeon was not just holed up at the temple, sitting on the steps waiting for the Messiah to walk through the doors, 
right? He's not just sitting on the pew waiting for someone to walk in the church doors, right? He's going about his everyday life doing the things that a follower of God should do. And he's in the city, he's teaching, he's doing all of these things that we should do, right? And then we see it says that he was guided by the Spirit and he entered the temple, all right? So we see that he is at the temple at a specific time on a specific day. And how did he end up there? Well, he was guided by the Spirit. So the Spirit guides him to the temple. He meets Jesus. And then what does he say? He says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Is that the kind of hope that we have? God's answered his promise. Take me home. Bring me to you, Lord. I've seen your promise answered. Bring me home. I've seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. And so as we close this morning, I want to leave you with with a few things. A few things to examine and reflect on. I want to let you know that it is impossible to have faith in Christ without having hope in His promises. Right? If you don't have hope in the promises that God has made to you, then it is impossible to live a life of faith. And I want to tell you that a faith that only looks to the past leads us to religion but a faith that looks to the future because of the hope that we have in Christ leads us to a life that has been changed. If we have hope in the promises that God has made, then our life will look different. If your hope has not caused you to change your life, then we have to take a step back and examine whether or not the faith that we say we have is truly a saving, hope-giving faith. And I pray that nobody would leave this room this morning without knowing 100% whether or not the faith that you have is a saving faith. Right, And as we look around the world and we see a hopeless world around us, right? We see most of the world, we talk about the 1040 window and the, and the unreached people groups. They have no hope. People living in poverty around the world, no hope. And so I want us to see that our hope is meant to be shared. Right? We can't keep our hope to ourselves. If we're living a life of hope, then it leads to a life of faithfulness. And our saving faith leads to salvation. And the hope in our salvation leads us to being missional Christians. 
right? You hear us all the time. We'll say that every member lives missionally. If we have hope, every member in this church who says they have hope should be on mission. On mission to see that hope spread all across the world. Right, and so every person in this room, I think, is one of three people. Right? You've heard this, you've heard the promises, right? You have hope, right? You see God answer promises and you praise Him because of His faithfulness. You're sharing your hope with the world around you, you're actively experiencing God's faithfulness, and you're expectantly expectant, ugh, expectantly waiting for his return. Or you're the second person. You had hope at one point, and you've allowed the enemy to blind you from your hope. You say you love God, but you're not showing it to the world around you. You don't see that God is keeping his promises and answering prayers. You received a light and it's been put under a basket. And you need God to remind you of your hope. Or you're the third person in here and you've never had hope. You don't have hope because you've never put your faith in the Messiah that was promised. You've never received the gift of salvation. So you can't claim the promise that God made that you would spend eternity with him. And I think every person in this room is one of those three people. And we need to take the time to reflect on which one of those people we are. So as we leave this morning, as we just take some time to examine our hope, there's gonna be people here who would love to pray with you, who would love to help you to figure out where your hope comes from, where your hope should be, why we have hope, so there's going to be people who would love to pray with you. And we ask that as we leave this morning, uh, that you would just do so quietly to give those people time. I'm going to pray for us, and then you're dismissed. Lord Jesus, we just uh, come to you again this morning, just thankful that we have hope. Thankful that you even saw fit to make a way for us to return to a relationship with you. Uh, we know that you didn't have to. We know that you chose to send your son to be born and to die on this earth so that we could have hope. And I pray that as we sit here this morning and as we examine ourselves, that you would just make it very clear to us if our hope is in you or if our hope is in something else, something of this world. Pray all these things in your name this morning. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message and will join us again soon. If you're listening today and you aren't connected to a local church, our hope is that you would get connected to a church in your area. If you would like to join us in person or have questions about next steps at connection-rinkin.com or on social media for more information. Thank you for joining us today.